about the past 86 episodes of Mountain Meister. We've listened to 86 of the world's most extreme, inspiring, and motivating athletes in outdoor sports. And they all have something to say. Things that not only make them successful at what they do, but also apply to our lives. Does what the Meisters have to say actually work? We decided to do a case study on me. The results of this case study? You're about to find out. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben speaking, your host. And today with me, I have nobody, nobody on the show with me, except for a few flashback Mountain Meisters, and you'll see what I'm talking about soon. Today on the show, I'm going to be reflecting on the experience that I had running the New York City Marathon, and I'm going to flash back to a few Mountain Meister episodes to show how what the Meisters said helped me through the marathon and how it really is applicable to everything that we do. Okay, first order of business. Throughout the past maybe 15 to 20 episodes of Mountain Meister, I've occasionally told the Meisters that I'm running a marathon if it comes up. And in the case of Dean Carnassus, ultra marathon man Dean Carnassus, episode number 71, it came up. And let me just preface this by saying Dean is the man who ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. He's done marathons in Death Valley at 120 plus degrees. He's also done ultra marathons all over the world, 300 miles, like a freakish, freakish athlete. Here's how Dean reacted when I told him I was running in New York. Well, good luck on your marathon. <laughs> thanks, thanks. It's uh, November 2nd, New York City. Are you doing New York? Yep. Mm -hmm. I've got one piece of advice on New York. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Don't pass me. <laughs> oh, I, you will not even need to remotely worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I do New York every year, so I'll, I'll see you there. All right. Sounds good. In the outcome that nobody could have ever predicted, your host of Mountain Meister, Ben Shank, beat the ultramarathon man, Dean Carnassus by one minute. I finished at the time of three hours, 26 minutes, and 26 seconds. I guess ultramarathons might be in my future. I am totally kidding. I should say that marathons are too short of a distance for Dean. He often uses them as training runs for his ultra marathons. And I'm sure that he had lots of other things to do on the course, like talking to fans or supporting other runners. I am not picking a fight with Dean because that's a fight that I'm going to lose. But I got you this time, Dean. For those of you who don't know, I was inspired to run this marathon from the man in episode number 32, Garrett Grobbins. He was the first ultra marathoner we had on this show. And 
at this point, I just really couldn't understand how somebody could do a race like this. Like 100 miles, how is that even possible? And this was Garrett's response. But most people say that they can't imagine one of these events until they actually go and they watch one. (laughs) And you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, some of these people don't necessarily look like world-class athletes. But I tell you what, those people make it to the finish line, and they, it's amazing what the mind can, can help you to accomplish. Wow. Uh, so when, when I hear you say, like, oh, I can't imagine doing one of those, or I'd never take one of those on, don't speak so soon. <laughs> I, wouldn't rule, I, I wouldn't rule it out. So I didn't rule it out, and if this philosophy that he has of you know putting one step in front of the other and being very mentally strong and just letting the feet move, if that worked for him, maybe it could work for me in a marathon. And I mean that's true, you know. Eventually, you're going to finish if you keep running. It's going to suck. Like toward the end, toward the last six miles, wow, that was awful. But if you keep moving the legs, eventually you're going to finish as long as you're physically able to do it. So I said, all right, let's do it. Let's go for it. He, along with many other runners, told me that I should do New York City based on the crowds, the energy. They said it's an incredible experience and you have to do it. This was around the end of July when I was told this and I had about three months to figure out what I was going to do. Basically, my only option was to run for charity. All the lottery and qualifying, blah, blah, blah. There's no time for that. Charity was the only option. So I look at the charities, and sure enough, one of the charities is Challenged Athletes Foundation. We have had a bunch of athletes affiliated with the Challenged Athletes Foundation, whether they have received support from them or they help out with volunteer time and donations. Muffy Davis from episode number nine was the first one that introduced us to this organization, and she has an absolutely incredible story. When she was 16 years old, she got into a really severe ski accident where she fell off the side of a trail, and I should say that Muffy was on the U.S. development ski team on her way to uh, being an Olympian, and this tragic accident where she hit her head, shattered her helmet, broke her spinal cord, and became paralyzed from the chest down, what would have seemed like something that could have ruined her life, she didn't let that hold her back. Well, right after my accident, as soon as I was medically stable, I went down to a special rehab hospital in Colorado. It's called Craig Rehab Hospital in Denver, outside of just in the suburb of Denver. And I spent the next three months there doing rehab. And in my mind, um, at that time, I was convinced I was going to get better. Uh, I took all my kind of competitive energy that I had used for racing and turned it into my therapy and Mm. positive programming and if I could have willed it I would have walked (laughs) so I you know I really focused a lot of that I even came home from the hospital and I did a lot of PT um I ended up getting school credit for PE because I did PT so much every day (laughs) um so I really tried to channel and focus on that but um at first, it, the, nothing came back. I wasn't going to get any regeneration. It, it, and it, after about a year and a half, I finally just decided that I had to let it go. Um, the whole hope of waking up in the morning, swinging my legs down and walking again and learn to just accept where I was and um, focus on 
living life. I still had a great life. I still had a lot of opportunities. I had learned while I was in the rehab hospital that if I wanted to, I could still ski again on adaptive skiing. I learned that they had the Paralympics, which I could still compete if I wanted to come back and compete. So, but it, for me, it was really, it was a process. It wasn't, um, some people, everyone comes to their acceptance of whatever adversity they may face in their own time. And, and I just needed to take my time to really come to full acceptance. Um, and I'll never forget the next ski season came around and I was home and I had sworn I wasn't going to ski unless I was standing up on two skis the way I'd always done it. And all of a sudden the mountain opens and I just look up there and I knew I had to be on that mountain and I didn't care how because it was on the mountain where I, my spirit was whole and I was free. And I just, I just wanted to be back on the mountain any way that I could. The Challenge Athletes Foundation helps people who are in a similar situation to what Muffy just described there. People who find themselves in that situation have every reason to complain, yet they don't. And I think that's so cool. They play the cards that they're dealt and they have an optimistic attitude. I was proud to be able to run for this organization. Now, these people can't be afforded that sort of opportunity without help from funding and volunteer work and all the people who spend their time and money out of the goodness of their hearts. And I thank you to everybody who donated to help me run this marathon to support the Challenge Athletes Foundation. I threw in a little incentive to get you to donate, Jansport Backpacks. And if you have received an email from me, that means that you have won a Jansport multi-day or single-day pack from Mountain Meister. Congratulations to those of you who won. Thank you to Jansport for providing those lovely packs. And also thank you to Garrett and the team at Boa Technologies. They outfitted my running shoes with what's called the Boa Closure System. You can check out what they do on the Meister profile page that I'll be creating for this episode. Not calling myself a Meister quite yet. (laughs) Okay, on to the marathon. The first 20 or so miles were actually pretty standard, I'm not going to lie. I didn't encounter anything that I didn't expect. I was a little worried about my pace, but I seemed to hold a consistent pace the whole time. There were some pretty severe headwinds in the first 20 miles, and we were supposed to get a tailwind for the last 6.2, but that ended up not happening, which made the last six that much more miserable. So we fast forward to mile 21, and that's really when I started. I I wouldn't say I hit the wall. You hear runners talk about the wall, where everything just collapses emotionally and physically. You're just torn apart. I was getting there, but I didn't quite get there. I mean, I could still keep my legs moving. What I noticed is that I I couldn't even focus on anything except for a spot on the road like six feet in front of me. And before, like for the first 20 or so miles, I was giving people high fives. I was pumping up the crowd. I was super excited to be there. After that, even though the crowds were maybe even louder for the last six miles, I couldn't even focus on them. And they say with marathons that it gets exponentially harder the further you go. And I definitely experienced that. I've heard that 20 miles is half as hard as 26.2. So you're halfway there when you reach mile 20. And things started to go downhill. By the time I hit mile 23, not only could I only focus on one spot of the road, I just, uh, like emotionally, I really started to go downhill. I was able to keep my legs moving 
but I, I was just so negative, like really, really negative. Like this absolutely sucks. Why am I doing this? I mean, like bad thoughts. So what, what got me through those bad thoughts? Cause that's kind of what we talk about on mountain Meister among many other things. First of all, just the thing that Garrett said, one step at a time, eventually I'll finish. And I did eventually finish by taking one step at a time. I like, I'm a realist and that's just like a logical way to think about, all right, I'm going to finish this marathon by taking one step at a time. Something which is maybe a little bit more obscure, but helped a lot that ran through my head. Thank you to the mountain meister, Rebecca Rush in episode number 39, uh, you know, something that really stays in my brain all the time is that the pain is temporary, but quitting lasts forever. Mm, um, that's good. And I quit one race in high school, a cross-country running race, and I just walked off because I wasn't having a good day. It's still, I have the scars from that because I was so embarrassed to tell my coach and my mom and my teammates that I quit, that to me, I'd rather finish last than not finish. Mm. And so uh, that's that's a lot of times how I push through the pain is, you know, the shortest way to the finish line is just to get to the finish line. So, I mean, I wasn't going to quit, but the pain was really starting to build. The My form, my running form must have been awful. I really don't want to see it, but man, I was just trying to get one foot in front of the other. Uh, so, okay, so I knew the pain was temporary. Quitting would last forever. I would just have to believe that and not quit. Another thing which helped, which I think we've talked about at one point on this show, was I think this was about mile 24. Again, like the miles get exponentially harder after 20. So I'm really struggling at this point. And I, you couldn't have written a script. That's, oh, who said that? Uh, John Hamm, I think, in the ESPYs last year, two years ago, said that that's why he loves sports because so he does movies he does television he's an actor people write scripts and movies are so inspiring but the thing that he loves about sports is that these things happen naturally like things that you couldn't even script stories that are so incredible happen in sports so anyway where i was going with this you you couldn't have written a script. I'm at mile 24, everything's struggling. And who enters that six foot spot in front of me? The only thing that I could concentrate, it was a person competing in the marathon in a wheelchair. It was a challenged athlete. And I saw that person, his arms could barely push his wheels, just like my legs could barely propel me. Yet one huge difference. And that's that when this race is over, I'm going to recover and not be confined to a wheelchair. And that completely changed my psyche. Like, who am I to be so negative about this? I chose to put myself there. I chose to put myself through this. Why am I being so negative? I need to lift my head up. So there I decided for the remainder of the race, I was going to pick my head up, force myself to think positive thoughts. Because honestly, what's the point of being negative? Like, what good is that doing? So I tried to pick my head up as much as I could, or at least figuratively. Literally, I couldn't pick up my head too much because I would run in zigzags if I wasn't focusing on that spot on the road. But I would think positive thoughts for the remainder of the course. And the last two miles were kind of a blur, to be completely honest. But I managed and I finished, and it was an incredible, incredible feeling. Speaking of the finish line, I've asked this question to a few mountain meisters. Uh, I, I'm always curious if there's like an unexpected emotion 
that people feel when either they cross a finish line or maybe when they summit a mountain. I asked this question to Dave Hahn, who is from episode number 84, Legendary Mountain Guide. Here's what Dave had to say. Yeah, I can think if you're referring to Everest, yeah, the the first time that I was actually on the top on a on a nice day uh, was my fourth summit of the mountain. <laughs> so it was like 2003. I'd first gotten to the top in 94, got up again in 99 and 2000, but all on cloudy days snowy days, weird circumstances, strange events, uh, <laughs> emotional roller coasters, survival epics. In 2003, I got to the top with clients, and it was a beautiful day. And I remember being <laughs> – this sounds, this sounds kind of silly now, but I remember being amazed – you could actually climb Mount Everest just for the view, you know, that uh, because it was the first time I'd seen the view from the top. And I, at that point, had already spent a good chunk of my life on Everest. But to be there early in the morning on a beautiful day with everything going right, um, you know, feeling good, it was, it was a whole different way of uh, of approaching the mountain <laughs> to, to know that it you know it wasn't just this big meat grinder it could actually be this very pleasurable experience so dave found beauty in something where he never expected to find it i had some expectations for the kind of emotions i would feel when crossing the finish line but there was something that i really didn't expect to happen but it happened Many people who've run marathons in the past have told me, and they told me about New York City too, like get ready to make 30,000 or 50,000 more friends and like, oh, it's such a great community. Like you're going to feel so close with everybody that you race with. And leading up to the race, I, I mean, it was cool to hear another person, uh, another person was running New York City, but I didn't feel any sort of special bond with them or anything. Uh, and... I was always waiting for that feeling to come. And so we had some dinners before and I got to meet my team and honestly, like didn't feel any sort of special camaraderie with them. Yet when I crossed this finish line, I uh, like my first instinct was to look at the person next to me and give them a hug. And that's exactly what we did. Like we looked at each other. It was just this dude my age and we gave each other a hug and how how cool is that? And I, I learned a lot right there because I realized that you need to go through something in order to feel that camaraderie. And now I really do. I, I, anybody that tells me that they've run New York City, I feel I, there's something special there. One topic which we've talked a lot about on this show with our guests is this concept called loss aversion. And a good way to explain loss aversion is to say that we as humans – try really, really hard to achieve our goals because we get more satisfaction out of avoiding missing our goals than we get satisfaction out of exceeding our goals. So the losses hurt more than the gains feel good. And there's all sorts of evidence out there about how people make decisions based on this. So with the marathon, my goal was to run 26.2 miles, right? 
And right when I crossed that finish line and as I started hugging that dude, every single part of the back of my body locked up. My hamstrings, my calves, my butt, my back, everything locked up. I could take no more than 8 to 12 inch steps. I, I don't know how I was running five seconds before that. And this made me think, well, like, what, what would have happened if it was 26.3 miles? Like, when when would I have stopped running? Like, yes, okay, I had some momentum with my legs. If I would have stopped running, I may not have been able to get myself started again. But at some point, I would have collapsed. And when I reached that 26.2, it just seemed like that was as far as I could go. What if it was 26.3 what if the race was 30 miles like how far could i have gone if that's what my goal was if that's what my approach what i came there to do we talked to darcy pq about this in episode number 77 and darcy and i were talking about how when i finish like a long run it feels like i can go no further and to my surprise Darcy, who runs 100-mile races, said she feels something similar when she runs 50-mile races. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, I mean, I even even though I've run a lot of 100-milers, I, I could still tomorrow run a 50K and finish it and think, oh, my gosh, I would never want to keep going. So, you know, I just think you, you, you put yourself into a mindset when you get to the start line of a race or the day before a race where you're just, you take it piece by piece, which is, which is basically how I see life is, you know, it's, it's just one step at a time and that's all you can do. I mean, you know, and people will come back and say, I just finished my first 150 mile. I couldn't even fathom continuing to run a hundred and, you know, that again. And it's, you just, I think that mindset, you know, you can't have that mindset in, in this type of a thing because, I mean, that's where the mind really does play in. You just have to, you, you know, you sort of have to look at it as going from aid station to aid station in a 100-mile event. You can't think of it as, oh, my God, I'm going to go run 100 miles. This, to me, is a really interesting thing to think about, and it's something that has so many applications in everything that we do. When we talk about setting goals, why do we want to just achieve our goal and not exceed it? If we think about it, the goal is all, all the goal is is an arbitrary number, right? 26.2 is a pretty arbitrary number. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals. Goals are extraordinarily important because we don't like missing our goals. So when we have that goal, it feels great to achieve it. Goals are great. What I'm saying is maybe because we are loss averse, it can be difficult to discover what our actual potential is because our behavior in being loss averse makes us think that the goal is just about as far as we could have gone. What I think would be interesting to look at, and I think this would probably illustrate loss aversion, is if we looked at marathons, right? So New York City Marathon, if we compare it to other marathons, isn't as difficult. It's a very flat course. It's at sea level. The temperatures are pretty cool, right? What if we compared the finisher percentages in New York City to the finisher percentages in other marathons where the elements are maybe different? right? Like higher temperatures, a really hilly marathon, a really high altitude marathon. If those statistics are the same, if the same percentage of people finish the New York City marathon versus a harder marathon, wouldn't that illustrate that people will do whatever it takes to finish? You could argue that people are more prepared 
for the harder marathons. But again, that illustrates it. We'll do whatever it takes to achieve our goal. And then for some reason, we just stop there because we as humans are loss averse. The final point of reflection that I had was, you know, those last six miles were painful. Like it sucked. It, it hurt a lot. But looking back on it, I can't really remember that pain. I only reflect on joy. I remember the highlights of everything. I don't remember the parts that, for lack of a better word, sucked. Like they, they sucked. But I don't remember them. I remember all the highlights. I remember the good things. And there are psychological studies out there that prove this stuff. Now, we're not talking about the bad stuff like PTSD or death in the family or any of those very traumatic events that can severely impact somebody's life. But we're talking about the little bad things. People tend to forget those little bad things. And honestly, that that's cool. That makes me happy because why would I want to remember those bad things? Like, good job, brain, for helping me remember only the good things from this marathon. And I guess to wrap things up here, there are always times when we face uncomfortable things, right? Like things occasionally do suck, but if our brains are only going to remember the good things, then we might as well not worry about those bad things. And also when you go through these difficult things, I think it makes you come out as a better person on the other side. So I think after running this marathon, I, I hope that has made me a better person. In fact, I, I know. I know that I have become a more thoughtful, more appreciative person, and it was worth it to go through that pain to earn those qualities. Everybody, thank you for listening to me rant for 20 minutes about this incredible experience in my life. I hope you can take something away from this too. I hope that this inspires you to try something that you haven't experienced before, test your comfort zone, and see what happens. Per usual, all of the links and anything that we have referenced will be on the Meister profile page created for this episode at our website, mtnmeister.com. While I have you here, we have some exciting things coming up at Mountain Meister, some great guests that will be joining us in future episodes. Really excited for you guys to hear those. Also, there are other ways to connect with us besides the podcast. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram, and we also have a bi-weekly newsletter called Keeping Up with the Meisters, where you'll find a little blurb to get you thinking. We'll also have featured deals, episode highlights, and an update on what's happening with our Meisters. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, this is your host, Ben Shank.